What's going on? How you living? Oh, I'm on live. Oh. <laughs> What's up? You know, the only, you know, live experience I have is quarantine radio and Boosie. So. Oh. oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this, this, is, this is nothing like those platforms. This is, I know. We are, we, this is uh, a little more, this, there's some profanity, but it's a little more family friendly. Just a little bit. What's going on? Can you see me okay? Hear me okay? All that? Yeah, we got you. I got you. Um, how are how's everything in LA? How are you? How have you been in quarantine? You know, it's uh quarantine. Quarantine has been a thing. So of course all the natural, you know, oh we hate this, right? Like mm -hmm. we're completely out of our element, we're all isolated. The ladies, you know, we rocking the natural hair situation, no nails, you know. Um, but for me personally, there's been like a blessing in this crazy dysfunctional disguise, you know, moment that we're having. And it's been a time for me to just like take a break, back up, sort of focus, recenter myself. Um, there's some goals that I've had like on my goals list for a long time, some of those like lingering goals. Um, and for the first time I was like able to check them off the list. You know? So that's been sort of the blessing in this quarantine. Also too, it's interesting, like being so disconnected from people has actually brought, you know, reconnected me with like old friends, you know? Yeah, yeah. We don't sit with each other and hang out every weekend or go do drinks, but you know, now that we're all sort of in this virtual hangout, you know, world, um, you know, now I'm finding that I'm reconnecting with people that, you know, normally we wouldn't necessarily have the time readily. So it's been cool. It's been all right. That's what's up. I like that's I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy. It's definitely been, you know, talking through this with, you know, different guests. Def there's definitely been different different experiences. Yeah. Um, with different folks and, and how they're, you know, dealing with everything. So I guess we can um, kick it off. Um, so born and raised in, well, born in Atlanta, raised in LA. What was your, what was your experience like coming up in LA? Like what was, you know, we're the same generation. So what was LA like at that time when you, you know, when, when you were coming up and how did that kind of inform, you know, the direction you decided to go in life and the things that you yeah. were interested in? So can you tell me about that? Yeah, so born in Atlanta, and then we moved to LA early. I was like one and a half, maybe two years. Um, grew up in, you know, the Pasadena. Pasadena. Um, you know, I was a, an only child to my mom. So it was just me and my mom. And mm -hmm. my mom was, you know, a hard worker. She was a hustler. Um, something that was always really important to her was, you know, even though we didn't have of means financially, education was so important to her. Okay. Actually, when I was in elementary school, I went to school in Pasadena and I was at school that was, um, it was a mixed ethnicity school, right? So a lot of black kids, a lot of um, Hispanic kids, you know, a couple Asians, some white kids. Um, but when I got into junior high, she actually moved me down to South Pasadena. And at the time I hated her for it because I was literally, um, between the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I was one of two black students in the whole school. 
Right. Um, so that was a difficult time for me in junior high in LA, just because I felt so disconnected from my people, from my identity. Um, now though, having, you know, pursued education and, and gone through higher education, the professional realm, I see what she did. It was very strategic and the complete total blessing and a gift. She enabled me, my mom, you know, at a young age, coming up in sort of this melting pot here that is California, Los Angeles. She wanted me to come out of the comfort zone of just being around my people. She wanted me to get comfortable moving in environments with people who didn't look like me and didn't come from my background and um, who maybe were more privileged than me. And I think that that um, was really important in sort of forming who I am professionally and, um, you know, just as, as a person out here. Um, I think that I have a, a gift of, or a level of comfort that I noticed some of my friends who grew up in LA, but kind of stayed within their, their universe. Um, you know, they have a comfort level that they don't want to step outside the box. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> you're, you, you switch schools in, in junior high. Um, did that continue for high school? And then once you got to, how did you decide where you wanted to go to school? You, yeah. you stayed close to home for not only uh, undergrad, but for grad school. And how did that, how, how did that, you know, how did you, you know, make those decisions and, you know, what was the motive, motivation behind that? So I actually went to five different high schools. So, um, I went to four, so I'm, I'm with you on that. I went to four different <laughs> high schools in four years. So I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. So, you know, again, my mom you know, thugging it out. She wanted the best for me, um, but we moved a lot because, mm -hmm. you know, financially, sometimes you just have to relocate, you know? Mm -hmm. um, at one point, I actually moved to back to Atlanta to, with my dad for it, and I did um, like a year of high school in Atlanta. Um, and then I ended up doing two high schools while I was there in Atlanta because my mom decided she missed me. Um, mm -hmm. She wanted to move to Atlanta too. But then when she got there, being a California girl, she was not used to sort of the, the racial issues that were much more prevalent in your face in the South. Um, so she moved us back to LA and moved down to Long Beach. So when I um, came back to California and I went to law school or to Long Beach, I was on high school number four. So at this point, it was my junior and I was short on credits and one of the we said hey if you want to graduate on go to an independent study program you quickly rack up credits do it for a semester and then come back your senior year on time and so that's what I did um, during my junior year I ended up going to an independent study program and while I was there for that semester um, they let me enroll in a college course at Long Beach Community College um, and then also I started working. And so I thought that this would kind of be, you know, like a semester and maybe a summer sort of. Um, but when I got onto the college campus, that was really honestly in my life, probably the first time that I ever started to enjoy school. Like school okay. had passed to me. Um, mm -hmm. But being able to sort of pick my courses and, you know, to have some free 
is if you want to get up and leave the classroom, I can leave. If I don't want to go to class on this particular day for this lecture, I don't have to. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so what I ended up doing, because I was really liking the college classes, being a high school student, um, and because I had started working, and so I was making a little money, I had a little car, and I was into <laughs> Right. <laughs> to finish high school and get my diploma through the, G, uh, the independent study program. And I continued to take the college courses at Long Beach City College. Right. And so after at Long Beach City College and doing enough credits where I could qualify for to transfer into USC, that's what I did. And um, I applied to a couple different schools. Um, it really came down to Spelman and USC. Hey, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm a Morehouse guy. So anytime I hear Spelman brought up, you know, I'm always going to show love. Every I have, time, I can't help it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I have this conversation with my 14-year-old um, sister now because she's super stoked and very focused on like college, and it's on her radar. She's getting ready for it, and she always asks me, "Well, why did you choose USC over you know Spelman?" Um, you know, I ended up deciding it was USC for me, and, and it was in part because I grew up here on the West Coast, and it was, you know, familiar. But um, to me also, too, I just, the network was something that was important to me, that Trojan network. Um, it's huge, you know, and it's worldwide. There's, you know, Spelman and Morehouse as well. Um, but there's something a little different about yeah. You know, I think there, I mean, even, even, I mean, there's even been a shift in terms of like when we were in school making the choice to go to school versus like the thing, how things have, like, there's no way to predict how things have, pro would progress in the time since going to school, right? I would never have predicted that my friends that went to Spelman and Morehouse, like, not that they weren't capable, but like the inroads and the positions that they now hold within the spaces that you and I work, mm -hmm. I would have never predicted it back then that that would be possible, right? Or not not possible, but that, that it would be happening at such a young age for us, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I get that decision a thousand percent. So you're at USC, what what is the, what draws you to the law, right? Was it, and, and more specifically, how do you decide to go into entertainment law? And, and as, a, as, as a young person, were you interested in music? I mean, obviously music is a part of a lot of everyone's life, but like, were you who were you listening to was it like i was it like i can sing but i don't know if i want to be a professional singer or i don't have musical talent so maybe i want to represent these folks what what was the uh, inclination on your in, on your part yeah so probably when i was in junior high um, one of my mom's best friends was a paralegal and she said to me danielle you should be a lawyer like that's what you should be and i was like huh I thought about that and it was in part because I've always been a negotiator I've always been the advocate for like myself and my god brother I was the one always negotiating to you know allow us to stay out a little later or you know if I felt like a classmate who had been wronged by a teacher you know I'm the one running down to the principal's office to raise this concern so um, yeah, and it was, you know, a little argumentative. Uh, when she sort of opened my mind up to this idea of being a lawyer, it stuck with me. 
And so when I got into law, uh, to undergrad, I actually was a double major, um, political science and psychology. And I thought for a moment, maybe I'm, huh? I said critical. Yeah, right. Those two together. Yeah. Um, I thought for a second, maybe I want to do some work in politics. Maybe I want to be a lobbyist. Um, but I did a program in DC for a semester. It just wasn't like the passion, right? But what mm -hmm. I'm passionate about just on a personal level is music. I've just always loved music. I've, I've never been a musician. I mean, I played the viola when I was in elementary school, but you know. Um, but I've always loved music, and in addition to that, I've always had a unique interest in the business side of music. So, like as a young girl, you know, I'm reading liner notes, you know, like 11, 12 years old, and I could mm -hmm. tell you, you know, who this producer was and what else they produced recently, you know, or I could tell you at any given time what artist, what label, and when they moved to it. So. Um, when I was in, uh, undergrad at SC, I learned that there was this thing called a music lawyer. I mean, I was certain I was going to law school at that point. Um, and so I thought, okay, let's work with this. You know, I'll get into law school. You don't need to know immediately what practice area you specialize in, but you'll have a little bit of time. And then when I got into law school, I made it a point to take you know, entertainment law classes and copyright classes and music law. So the courses that were entertainment and music focused, I took those. And when I was taking those classes, that was where I was like excited, you know, and the work was interesting to me. So at that point I kind of solidified, yep, this is what I want to do. I want to be a music player. And then from there, I took the next step of actually getting practice in this area so i started to do internships and externships mm -hmm. i was in law school um i actually did one for warner music group um, i did that twice actually while i was in law school and that actually ended up being where i ultimately got my first job as a lawyer um right out of law school so that's a good example of how networking doing the internships can really land you your job it's difficult to get a job as a lawyer coming straight out of law school um, a label, um, and especially at the time, the industry was, you know, still recovering. From um, that, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, and then networking. Yeah. So, so um, this is an aside. What you talked about, like, because we met uh, at, you know, as as Dina was teaching her music business course. And I know that's not like a, a super intense music business i mean it's not a super intense like law course mm -hmm. but in terms of the breadth of in terms of the breadth of my experience I, I mean i mean you know my background in terms of dealing with the artists i dealt with prior to that course and then post um can you kind of touch on how does how did that course um and i think you even taught one of the classes you and you you were over you oversaw one of the classes how did that how does that course over the i guess it's like a what is it a, months how does that course differ from what the, the the detail of a of a law course i've also taken a business law course so i just don't want to hear from you like the kind of the difference because mm -hmm. also i'm thinking about uh going to law school so i figure i might as well pick your brain and let do this right now for everyone okay. um, how does that, how does that differ 
Yeah, so the Dina's course at UCLA, it's an amazing course and it's kind of like a crash course in all things music law and music business, right? And there are these two sort of separate things. There's the law that sort of, you know, informs how the business works, yeah. right? Um, when you're in law school, you're going to take classes that are very, very focused on a topic like copyright law. And it'll be an intensive course where you're going to read like literally the federal statutes on copyright law um, and learn the ins and outs of everything as it relates to this body of law. Um, whereas Dina's class, which she retired from the course this spring, she, yeah, I think it was like 20 years. Um, really? Yeah, I think it was like 20 years she had done that. Maybe it was like 18 or 19, but it was. Who's, yeah. who's taking it over? You're taking it over, right? No, I'm not taking it over. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Dina's course, and so anyway, obviously law courses, it's really like the technicality of the law, right? Um, Dina's course is really great for people who are lawyers, but non-lawyers because it gives you sort of the broad overview um so wherein you might kind of talk about copyright in sort of a short moment and well what is it and when do you need it you know right. and could something bad happen to you related to copyright um you won't really dive into all the different you know ins and outs of the law as it pertains to copyright um and then also her course was sort of easy to understand for everyday professionals in the music business who don't want to listen to legal jargon, you know, for right. two each, you know, Tuesday night or whatever, it, whatever it was. Okay. So you go to you, you, you're at USC, you choose, you decide on Pepperdine for law school. How did you end up? I, I'm assuming that, um, Warner, you, you're doing an externship or an internship at Warner and you just, you know, they made you an offer and you chose to, um, you know, work with them or how did, how did that, how did that happen? How did it come about? Yeah, actually what happened, it's a interesting story. So when I passed the bar, like literally was sworn in, you know, you, um, I reached out to, you know, my contacts and one of them was my former boss at Warner. And I said, I am official. Like it is, I got my paperwork, you know, plug me in. Like, is there something available on your team? Is there something available somewhere else? But I work for a record label. And at the time, he said, well, listen, we have something here. It's actually a contract position. It's short term. He says, um, and there was something over at Live Nation that I was interviewing for. He says, listen, if, if, if Live Nation is going to be a real possibility, he says, because this is, you know, it's contract, it'll probably be, you know, four or five months at the most. He says, um, you might want to focus on or hedge your bets with Live Nation. Otherwise, you may not have a job at the end of four or five months. Um, and for me, it was important to really follow my passion. And that's always been an important part of any move that I make. Like, I want to be moving my passion. 
And so my passion was the record side of the business, not necessarily live touring. So I decided I was going to take a chance. I took the contract position. It was at the time we were settling the big class action um, that Eminem brought against the rules for digital downloads. Um, and so I was working on that for a few months. They actually brought in between the East Coast and the West Coast, maybe like a total of 20 lawyers um, to basically work on this big class action suit. Class and by the grace of God and hard work, by the end of the summer, actually lasted all of the lawyers like all the other lawyers had been laid off you know one by one as we kind of wrapped up the class action lawsuit um and i was the only one left and i remember the attorney that i was working under she said hey listen i have another project um and i really like the work that you're doing would you mind staying on um, just shifting over to this project in my group i said of course yeah um, and then I worked for her for a little bit. It was very quick. I mean, I want to say maybe a month or two. And there was a lawyer in that group who gave her notice. She had gotten married and her husband was, you know, living up north. And so she uh, gave her notice because she wanted to be closer to him. And I remember the day she came in because um, she had kind of told a few of us that you know, we were kind of tight buddy buddy. And so we knew it was coming. But I remember the day she was like, I'm going wish me luck. And she went in, closed the closed the office door with her boss. And then her she came out, she, you know, went to her office and then her boss went into her boss's boss's office. And then her boss's boss came out and got me. And they brought me in. And, you know, they said, you know, what you would expect them to say, like you've done exceptional work. We have a lawyer leaving and I don't think we need to go outside if you want a permanent role here as an attorney in the legal department like we'd like for you to be one and that was that and the rest is history and um that was a great great blessing and I think it was supposed to happen like that okay and how did you enjoy it you enjoyed your time at Warner what was the how I guess to lead into the next part of this how did your time at Warner kind of prepare you for the work that you were doing at Lapole Law, can you kind of give us like you know a broad kind of broad strokes of like until I actually until you sent me over your bio, I didn't realize that like Lapole Law did like all sorts of stuff. I really thought they were just like an entertainment law firm. Mm -hmm. um, so can you kind of tell us broad strokes? Yeah, how, you know how your how your work at Warner informed what you did at uh, with Dina, and then kind of what your role was there, and you know some of the things you worked on. Yeah. So at Warner, you know, I was a baby lawyer, right? And a baby lawyer, not just baby lawyer, baby lawyer kind of understands the law, but now we need to understand how to apply the law in our profession. And in particular, I'm a transactional lawyer. So mm -hmm. transactional lawyer, we negotiate contracts. Uh, litigator goes into court and sues people. Contract killer, as I said. <laughs> so as a baby lawyer, the first thing I needed to learn is I needed to learn how to draft, right? I need to learn how to redline contracts. I need to learn, which is actually something that I love, you know, the difference between putting the comma here or the comma two words down can change the deal completely, you know? Mm -hmm. the difference between you capturing this one catch-all phrase in this section versus putting it here, it changed the whole deal. 
um, I've always been very meticulous and I pay very, very close attention to details. Um, drafting was an exciting thing for me to learn. And that's what I spent most of my time doing was learning how to draft agreements, write up contracts, um, write up licenses. Um, but the second piece of, of Warner was as sort of the initial, you know, training ground for me as a music lawyer was just learning the business. And right. I'm in the music business. The best place to learn how the music business works, in my opinion, as a music lawyer is in a record label because at a record label, you are the business of music, right? Um, right. We have the streaming services too, but the business of music is built on record. And I was at a major label too, you know, not just, um, you know, not just an independent, but a major subsidiaries. So that's really what I'm doing at Warner, learning how to draft, understanding how the business of music works, and then just doing more networking. Um, entertainment, as you know, um, music too, very, very, you know, it's about relationships and building relationships. Um, people need to like you. People need to know who you are um, in order for you to really, you know, kind of maneuver successfully. Um, it's hard in our business because it's such a specialized, coveted, you know, world, entertainment. And then within entertainment, there's this smaller world of music, you know? Um, so it was important for me as the third sort of thing I did at Warner to just solidify relationships and build my network. And that's I met Dina. So um, I met Dina at like a California Lawyers for the Arts um, panel discussion. And- That sounds very Dina. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but she was, I can't remember what the overall topic was, but the point of the matter was she was speaking about all of the work she does on Capitol Hill. And to me, that was fascinating because remember I was telling you when I was an undergrad, I thought for a minute, maybe I'll do something wow. about it. Yeah. So, like, wow, here's this woman, you know, badass, rock star you know female music attorney and she's actually doing work you know legislative work like this is really cool so i just introduced myself to her and you know we exchanged contact information and i kept in touch you know part of that networking thing just sort of checked in every now and then mm -hmm. um and then again by the grace of god i ended up getting a an email from her her firm is, was growing. I mean, it's really her firm has exploded in the last several years. Um, but at the time, she was getting another huge client and they wanted to bring in another lawyer. And so she reached out and she said, listen, I have this opportunity. Um, if you're interested in talking about leaving in-house at a record label and coming into private practice, you know, let me know. And I said, sure. Um, you know, my, I've always felt like a shift or a change in your work life is healthy, right? Mm -hmm. You well-versed, it keeps you on your toes, um, and that's how you continue to grow. So um, Dina and I met a few times, I met with her office and you know, the rest is history. And um, to kind of answer your question about sort of then what happened and what carried over from working at Warner into the work that I did with Dina, that was a very, 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 very fun, hard 
crazy ride. Um, Dina's firm is, she's built this firm on like this practice of excellence, really. You know? And I think that working for Dina was such a great training place for me at that next level of my career because Dina wanted everything done right. She wants it done perfectly. She wants it done timely. Um, doesn't fuck around. She doesn't, she doesn't screw around and she's super, super smart. And the lawyers that she brings into the firm are incredibly smart as well. So, you know, iron sharpens iron. Um, but when I came over to Dina, it was a, a completely different world, right? So my client beforehand was the record label and working at the record label, you know, you have this sort of, these are the things we do, you know, in any given year, this, 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 that, and this, you know, and this is how we do it. We've been in business a long time. Here's how we do it. And so going to Dina. Um, not only is the firm demanding, but she's, you know, got a lot of high profile clients over there, but also the firm really only works with artists. Okay. So they only represent talent, artists, producers, songwriters. They don't represent companies. You know, Dina is, you know, an, an advocate for creators. For artists, yeah, for creators. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, when you work with the artists, artists, creative people, they sensitive about their stuff, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, that's another ball game too. And, you know, the other thing is Dina also taught me, which is a great gift. Um, and I'm sad to say it's not always the norm amongst lawyers, but Dina is one that's like, she'll get hands dirty, right? This may be the issue, but if she sees that there's more that we can was the lawyers. If we lean in a little bit more, we can actually do more for the client. And we might even be stepping outside of our lawyer box. But if we right. see something, you know, um, so being with Dina allowed me to sort of further sharpen my skills, technical skills, right? Like the drafting and the negotiation, further understanding the business, because Dina's all about, you know, teaching and be taught, you know, working with her um, and helping her kind of co-lecture her class when mm -hmm. did, that was also a huge learning tool for me because when you have to teach something, you know, it's like, oh, wow, I really got to work through these pieces in my mind. Um, but it, and then it was the gamut of what you do when you work for the artist, you do so much, right? So mm -hmm. while I was there, I would be negotiating the artist's live appearance agreements. I'd be negotiating sponsorship deals, negotiating recording contracts, publishing contracts, um, even stuff like signing a lease and they want the lawyer to <laughs> kind of look through this. Sometimes, you know, if you got a big client, you know, you go, you gonna look at that lease. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> at least look that. Um, so it was great. And what ended up happening while I was there, when I first came in, you know, obviously Dina had to, you know, kind of check me out, see how I work in practice and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of train me on how we do things at that firm. And I think as I began to show her that I was, you know, not just what she expected, but really good at my job and even better than she expected, she started to trust me. And I remember we had this conversation early on about, you know, I love hip hop and 
I really, really, really want to represent and work with hip hop artists. And at the time, I didn't see hip hop artists at the firm. And so her and I had a lot of really open discussions about it. And I don't know if you know, she might have spoken about it a little bit in class, but you know her personally, so you might know this. But um, she has a very storied history representing the Tupac estate um, and Death Row and Suge. And so there was a period in her life where she had a heavy hip hop practice. And um, it created some problems for her in her personal life. And there were some concerns she had. And so she effort to sort of eliminate that um, that area from the practice but when I came in and you know started to work really hard and she saw that you know I could work with clients and you know kind of carry them on my own you know we revisited this conversation about bringing you know hip-hop and R&B artists back to the practice and we came up with a strategy, you know, and the strategy was, listen, not all hip hop is going to be a headache, you know, not all hip hop artists are, are going to cause problems or right. be irrational. Let's just be just as we would with any other artists in any other genre of music. Let's just be selective about which clients we bring in. Right. That's what we did. And, you know, Dina often all the time is being you know asked to take meetings and so her and i and then when she brought in scott who's the managing partner of the firm when it came to the hip-hop clients we would kind of talk about you know is this someone we want to bring in and ultimately we did that and i just all these hip-hop babies under thing and um it sort of became my you know my thing and you know, she ended up, you know, it's kind of like a joke, but she was like, I deem you the vice president of our hip hop division. You know, it was kind of like a, a joke, but that's really what it was. You know, it was like all these hip hop artists and I was sort of running the show for all of them. Um, and it was super exciting. I think hip hop is a great, great genre to learn, you know, music law in because. Shit, yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> A lot of samples, a lot of people involved on a record. You know, it's an expensive genre, you know, to put out projects. Um, you know, so that was sort of thing. And uh, yeah, that was that's kind of how I gained my my legs there, and you know, did it at at the. So, what was the? Um, I guess a two a two part question. So as someone who you, you get to the pole law, obviously, you know, they are, Dina is very well known in our business. Mm -hmm. um, and she's done, she's working with, you know, I, I'm not going to say client names, but she's working with, you know, the, the big names that, um, the, who, the who's who of the business. Right. Who are some of the, you know, the big the music folks that you were like, I, I, who are you listening to, right? And who are the folks that are like, if I had a chance, I would work with? And then to that end, what was it about the music, I mean, about 10K projects, the opportunity there that made you say, hey, I've, I only have I added this to, I've gotten to work with all these folks through this, under this umbrella. I want to take it to the next level and go to 10K and kind of even grow even larger, expand my, you know, expand my repertoire. So um, kind of who I'm listening to. So some of my close friends laugh at me. Because they're like, you know, your, your taste in music, for you to be, you know, so poised and so polite, 
If somebody were to get into your car on any given day, oh, I know where this is going. I know exactly where this is going. They oh would, man, you you got you got all the trap music on. I do, I do. I can't even. I have one of my very, very, very longtime close guy friends always joking about you need to get some R and B in your life. I really do, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I just I love hip hop and I love everything from you know sort of commercial stuff like Drake and you know, even stuff that's becoming more streamlined commercial, like Lil Baby and the Gunners. Um, but I also love like, you know, Moneybag Yo. And I love, you know, I, I like this type of stuff. You listen to Money Man? Do you listen to Money Man? Moneybag, Moneybag. No, yeah, so if you like Moneybag Yo, you gotta listen to, there's a guy, there's a guy called Money Man. Uh-huh. And- Where's he from? He's from, he's from, I think he's either from Memphis or Atlanta. One, one of the, somewhere, I'll, I'll I'll send you a link. Send me some. Send me some. I got you. Uh -huh. Um, so, but I have been okay. So here's the other thing: because I just love music, I usually when stuff comes out, although in the last six months, because my life has been really really hectic, just with the switch in job and then everything that's happening in the country, um, but I usually will try to give everything a once through even if it's not necessarily like an artist that's on my list of like, if I was still paying, you know, per CD, would I spend my $20 on this one? Um, so I pretty much listen to everything, but then when stuff sticks and it's usually sort of the trap rap or, you know, that type of hip hop, that's what I'll, I'll kind of land on. <laughs> There's my friend right there talking about the R&B in my life. <laughs> um, but then, uh, so that was, sort of choice in music. And then what was the second part of the question? How did that, yeah, how did, how did your work at LaPolt kind of inform your, um, you know, inform what you're doing or, or influence your decision to trans transition to 10K? And what was, the, what was the process behind that? Yeah, so it was a hard decision to make because, you know, being at Dina's firm, I was there for, under four years and she really empowered me and she really gave me a lot of responsibility and she really put me on the front lines and allowed me to get my chops wet and to grow like I just she wanted me to grow she wanted me to learn she you know and she trusted me in that way and it was a win-win you know it was great for me because I was able to establish myself some ways I was able to learn a lot and it was a win for LaPolt Law because you know it, it it allowed us to continue to bring in you know big great clients and really service them well you know um mm -hmm. but in the back of my mind I always knew that private practice it wasn't my strong desire like this is it for me i'm gonna be you know a talent representation attorney i'm gonna open up shop one day like this is what i want to do but i always saw myself going back in-house at some point to okay. a music company and this opportunity kind of came my way and um i have a couple of people who is interesting it came to me through a couple of people and I, I thank them so much because, you know, I was a little nervous at first, right? It's a big jump. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been overseeing these, the legal and business affairs for these 
huge artists. Um, but now to kind of leave the, you know, the, the, the comfort zone of, you know, I could always go run down to Dina and ask her a question, you know, and now kind of run the business and legal affairs for, you know, one of the fastest growing independent labels in the world. You right. know, and so I had a couple of my close friends that said, like, they kind of shook me up, you know, not literally, but figuratively, and we're like, you got this, like, you can do this, you know, you've been doing this on, you know, a smaller scale in a different form at the firm, like, that's what you're doing. Um, and you, you've totally got this, you just have to step out on a little bit of faith, you have to believe in yourself. And, you know, know also too the people that are, you know, that are going to hire you, they're very, very smart as well. You know, they're not going to put somebody in that role that's not qualified. So I just decided this was one of those moments where be a little uncomfortable to make a shift. And if you remember, I was saying earlier, I think that it's healthy in your professional career to shake things up every now and then, you know, I don't think you should necessarily be bouncing around, you know, every six months, every year. Um, I think you need to be rooted long enough in a place where you really grow. But when you mm -hmm. get to a place where you're feeling a little comfortable, that's probably a sign that it's time to find a way to shake things up. And so the opportunity came. Um, it's an amazing independent record label. Um, Elliot Grange, who owns the label, is a freaking genius. And I, you know, had a couple of meetings. And then I did some research and I asked some, you know, industry colleagues who've worked with Elliot and worked with some of the team over at 10K and everybody said really great things. Um, and it just was like, all right, Danielle, like it's time to make this shift. It, you know, it's uncomfortable and it was hard because I, you know, really loved doing the work that I was doing and, and working directly with the artist and working with Dina and her firm and the attorneys there. Um, but I think for me, it was like, I'm going to grow tremendously for, for, you know, by pushing myself, you know, in this new role. And um, here we are. Oh, boy, here we are. <laughs> um, I got a few more questions, questions that I want to open it up for questions from the audience. Uh, what was it? Can we, we can take a step back to, you know, kind of your last year and a half or so at, uh, with, with Dina mm -hmm. at LaPolk. Tell us about... Tell us about the things that you can um, while you worked in the 21 Savage case. How did that come about? And, um, you know, what was it? How did it come about? What was it like working on that case? Some of the challenges. I know you were kind of, you were kind of like one of the point people on that case, if, if not the like, yeah. Because um, Dina's worried about all the other big name clients. You're kind of like, you're the hip hop liaison for the firm. So, can you just walk us through what it was like dealing with ICE and Donald Trump and every <laughs> our crazy president and all those things? Yeah. And how did that come about? How did you even get in? How did how did uh, you and how did you all get involved in that case? Yeah. So um, I mean, it was literally a literal movie, like a literal movie. And so obviously, the firm represents Twenty One Savage, and you know that I was the point person, like. I all of his day-to-day -day at the time legal math and if you also remember one of the incredible things that I learned while being at the firm was you know if you go if you're gonna be in go all in you know don't 
kind of like put your put your hand in there and test it out and then you know take it out and then, like just get all in there you know Correct. and that's sort of the the philosophy over at the firm so when obviously we were aware that our client had some immigration concerns or some things that were pending um we were very involved in that we sort of managed his day-to-day -day business affairs so um you know actually very ironically before you know he got picked up on sunday right before super bowl i had actually flown down to atlanta on friday dina sent me down um to have an in-person meeting with the client to kind of go through various business things um and so i just so happened to be in atlanta that weekend and we had a meeting and then sunday morning at the wee hours of the morning i got the call that this had happened that ice had, had taken him and so immediately you know you spring into action we didn't know at that time there was there were some things that were off you know, we were hopeful that this would kind of quickly be rectified um but then, you know, by like 1 p.m. on Super Bowl Sunday, they're reporting this on CNN. You know, it was like, oh, okay, shit, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a deal. Right, right. And um, so I ended up going, you know, with his immigration attorney on, you know, the first day of business, I think Monday, that following Monday to kind of, again, like we hoped, sort of clear up some things and, you know, have him released and then everybody go along on their merry way um but when i went and i'm glad i was there it was made incredibly clear to me that they were um there were some intentional things happening mm -hmm. that this was not at all going to be Excellent. yeah this was going to be um probably an example type of situation so we you know dina decided okay this shit is hitting the fan this is very 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 serious and she sort of put together this you know 21 savage coalition and it was like nine lawyers total um and you know specialized fields couple immigration lawyers couple of criminal lawyers you know the lawyers at her firm you know there was a judge involved and because i just so happened to be in atlanta by the grace of god um, where all of this stuff was happening, um, I ended up being sort of like the central hub for everybody, right? Because, you know, the Port Law, we about, you know, the client and, you know, all of these new lawyers needed someone to kind of be the, the directing sort of guiding force. Now, Dina, she was heavily, heavily, heavily working um, with members of Congress to help savage at the time and so you know i remember she kind of looked at me and i was like you know dina was like danielle i you have to run with me. you have to leave here you're on the ground in atlanta these lawyers they will listen to you trust your instincts and i remember she said that she just said trust your instincts but she was like i gotta go and i'm gonna be dealing with members of congress and i'm not gonna be able to deal with this so that's my job is to run everything on the ground. And so for like 14, no, more than 14 days. Well, I think it was 14 days. It was almost two and a half weeks. I ended up basically living in Atlanta and I became the, the, the main immigration lawyer. Like, 
day in his office, you know, he and I would fly up to, you know, where Savage was and we'd visit with him and, you know, go through questions, um, then coming back and then, you know, getting on the calls with the PR team and kind of strategizing that whole co coalition and, you know, proofreading things and giving legal input. And it was just a complete whirlwind, um, no sleep, literally no sleep. I imagine not. Yeah, no sleep. You know, I in, in that picture of the PJ, you look like you've been working. I, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was no sleep, and you know, we. Uh, I mean, I I canceled probably seven flights because we kept booking flights for me to come back because we were like, all right, this not looking so good. You might as well come on home, and then something would shift. You know, we'd hear something from ICE. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was interesting because even I, you know, became friends with a couple ice, you know, ice agents. You know, that's interesting. You never know when you might need a, I need to know an ice agent. Um, but just being involved and, you know, we finally achieved what we needed to achieve. Um, I felt like it was a, a huge moment in my professional career because being so stressed, um, this man's life, you know, ripped apart, leaving his family you know having to to leave the country um you know he was scared his family was scared you know he's got tons of supporters and for me to have to make judgment calls and you know i have a judge who's been on the bench for 30 something years calling me asking me for guidance on something and strategy and i'm like oh god but it really made me sort of trust myself trust my instincts um, and it was a growth moment in that for me. And in the end, it all worked out. You know, we were able to, you know, miraculously through everyone's hard work and strategy, get him out and get him home to his family. And, um, that was a, that was a time. It was a great time. I imagine so. Yeah. Is, music, is music where you see yourself staying for the foreseeable future? And what is, you know, what is a typical day at, 10k projects like versus what you were doing at you know yeah um i love music i will... or let me rephrase, let me rephrase that before you start because that's a bad question because i know music is your passion how do you see in the foreseeable future how do you see your role in music shifting like your your position within the business right now you're you're at an executive executive level do you see yourself do you want to get to the c-suite yeah. You want to like, what, what do you want that to be? And then also talk about what your role is at 10K Project. Um, so yeah, music will always inform what I do professionally because what I do professionally, I got to be passionate about it. That's one thing I will not sacrifice on. Um, and, but what I, I see happening in the future at some point is I would love to ultimately move shift from a pure legal role mm -hmm. more into a role where I'm weighing in and helping the company that I work for make more of the business decisions um, and some of the creative decisions. And so, um, you know, where I am now, it's actually sort of a natural shift um, or a natural sort of level up in that Elliot and this business, it's, it's a record label, right? But Elliot is such a freaking genius. The way his mind thinks, 
he is, and this is another great thing about working for an independent, you're not a major, you're not stifled by here's our, and here's what we do always in this box. You know, Elliot is able to be nimble and he's able to be creative. Um, and what's really exciting is that I get to be a part working with him on some of these new ideas. We, we do JVs, bring in partners. Um, we're, we're doing creative things. We're, we're, you know, approaching deals, you know, differently than, you know, traditionally. We also got, you know, our hands in, in other areas of um, music, which, you know, still enables me to not just do the typical negotiate recording contracts, but um, to just sort of keep a varied pace at work. Um, but a typical day, so the business over there, the, we move fast and it's a lot of business. And um, it's a bunch of young, creative, they're also passionate about the business. And so any given day, you know, Elliot make deals. He's a no-nonsense type of guy. If he likes someone, he wants someone and we're going to get someone. Um, so, you know, I might be drafting up, you know, a deal proposal or negotiating a record contract um, for some new app. Um, like I said, also, we are in this space where we're doing these fun, creative JVs. And so, you know, I might be negotiating a JV deal, talking to a new partner and, and you know, trying to broaden, you know, the areas that our business touches. Um, also, too, you know, there's the legal stuff. So, you know, especially in hip hop, you got a lot of claims, right? Everybody, everybody sampled something. So being in-house, we have litigators that are outside counsel. Um, but I work with them and guide them um, in sort of what they're doing for us. So any given day, I'm dealing with the litigators and talking through claims and strategizing. Um, even in, we might receive claims. So I've got to kind of out and negotiate and do the factory um, there. Um, and even, you know, interesting small little things that fires that come up, you know, everybody kind of knows, like, go to the lawyer. The lawyer will fix it. We had an artist that was um, where the you know COVID stuff happened, and you know there was an issue with the um, place that we had booked for him to stay, and they were trying to put the put the artist out. So I had to get on the phone and fight with this you know management company and deal with these issues and get the contract out. You know, so that type of stuff happens. Um, there might be an issue on set at a video where the director comes in or the photographer comes in and, you know we thought we had one thing agreed but then our creative teams will call me and they're like he's saying we own these photos but i think you want to own it so now i gotta you know, kind of hash yeah, yeah. putting out fires constantly yeah but it's fun it's fun it's fun it's fun it's fast-paced and it's challenging and i work with really really great people yeah so we got about we have four minutes left if you guys want to click the, there's a question mark uh right there at the bottom if you want to submit your questions there um in the interim given the climate of everything going on what do you think um not specifically 10k but in, in general what um what do you think labels i think you know i mean you know the history of music i mean you if you look at you know from blues to hip-hop rock and roll country music these are all forms of music that originated with black people um, and that were ultimately, ultimately infiltrated or, you know, overrun, if you will, however you want to phrase it by you know, people of other races. How do you, what do you think the, the, the role is of the music 
business or record labels and you know all the things that are all the social and racial injustices that are happening around us right now um you know we're actually having very very serious conversations about this at 10k um, we have a company call today um to kind of go through our strategy for you know the next 12 months and beyond about how we're going to tackle this but one of the things that i said on our call, I said it a couple times because we had another call on Monday as well with, you know, kind of a company is I honestly, Danielle Price, I feel like labels that have built their financial success on the backs of music, I feel like they have an absolute duty to put their money where their mouths are and come out the pocket for causes right now and going forward. I think that we need to putting black faces in these rooms at the company and in these positions where they are decisions about the black music that these companies are putting out. Putting out. Right. What, is, what was, what, damn it, I just had a, I just lost my train of thought, damn it. No. You said something that was pointed and then I forgot. Oh, well. Money, were putting their money up? Oh, did you see the, did you see the list of companies that came out that Which, had it? There was a list. There was a list of companies that came out that like music companies, general companies, music company. Yeah, music companies. I only got two minutes left, but there was a list of. I'll text it to you. But there are a list of music companies that like hadn't. You know, there was only there was only one company, one label. I don't remember off the top of my head that had actually donated to uh, causes, but then the rest of them, none yeah. of them had. Um, let me try to get to someone's question. What are some great networking events to attend for someone new to the music industry? New to the music industry as a talent agent. Um, okay, so if you, I don't know if you're a woman. Minute 30, we have a minute 30. If you're a woman, get involved in women in music. Um, if you are not a woman and, or if you're male or female, I would say do things like um, join the Recording Academy if you can. Um, you can sort of join a committee, join a chapter locally. You can be involved and network with other people in the music industry. My dogs. <laughs> So I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Thank I'm moving to LA. I'm moving. I'm moving back at the end of August, so oh. we got to catch up and get dinner. So I'll be there. Um, yeah. So thank you again, and much success to you. And thank you for doing all that you do and that ha and have done and will continue to do. Thank I'll you. talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.